what are some of Leaf's biggest storylines for this 2022-23 college basketball season regarding NBA prospects? Find out right here because nobody watches more college basketball than Leaf. So you know he's got some interesting takes. Stay tuned. Shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online because Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. I am your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies. And my co host, I might have to start calling him Leaf Stradamus because he's made some pretty good predictions that have come to pass early. The first one, was he thought Steve Nash would be on the hot seat. I even saw some people voting for Nash as potential coach of the year. And seven games in, he is out. So, Leaf, what is going on? Do you have any any more predictions for us? Because I, I know you got the Nash one right. Uh, you said that, and I was shocked, I disagreed with you at the time, that um, Ocha Akbaji could, was out the jazz rotation. And he's starting to get some minutes there, but he's playing far less than what I expected. I don't know, man. I think I might need to call you when for this Powerball. You might at least be able to get me half the numbers, right? I hope so. Uh, <laughs> the, the Agbaji one, I think you're being a little too kind. Being a jazz guy, I, I, I kind of, I kind of had in. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say intel that was firm, but I had inklings from you know read read through the lines and and saw that he. He seemed to be the odd man out of what I'd I'd seen at the scrimmage that they played and and just some some preseason rotation. So that one I, I don't I don't think I was reading tea leaves necessarily. I just kind of had good information. The the Nash one, I'll take some credit for. I felt I felt pretty confident here. Doc Rivers, one of those teams with high expectations and and teams with not, uh, I wouldn't say great chemistry, but I'll say maybe low chemistry, but high expectations. Uh, they, they and and like short short fuses on their team. I think one they they had a they had a tougher job, so I thought I'd hedge my bet by saying one of the two, but it but it did happen pretty quickly. I wasn't expecting it to be that fast. So, do you think that they weren't confident in him going into the season, or do you think that um, he just said, you know what, this is too much going on with the Kyrie stuff, with the Ben Simmons stuff? What do you think really happened? And of course, this is just your opinion. Don't want somebody to say, write, write an article saying, <laughs> Leaf and Raphael said this is exactly what happened. What do you think happened? Because I think it's wow. weird that you fire him after seven games. Like if you already thought you were going to fire him and you weren't confident in him, why you probably bring in your, you know, a, a new coach, you know, for preseason or to at least implement some type of offense. My thinking was, and I guess is, that there's a lot of moving pieces. There are high expectations. The best player on the team didn't buy into Nash's coaching style, and that was KD. And then the second and third best players on the team are unreliable. They're supremely talented but have been unreliable in terms of availability, which is sometimes the best ability. And and the other sense is that I would say mentally they're both sporadic. They can be locked in and phenomenal. But they also have moments where their beliefs and and 
uh, injury tendencies. And, and, you know, we know everything about Kyrie's stance of he wasn't able to play due to vaccination. And Ben Simmons was out for a, a very long time with an injury that many were speculating on, which I don't think is necessarily fair, but you have all these built up expectations and your second and third best players are unreliable in terms of availability, which is the best ability and your best player doesn't buy the coach. I think there was, there was, there's writing on the wall there. Tough situation, man. Hopefully he gets an another opportunity. Cause I don't think anybody really would have succeeded. And you know, it's, it's just crazy. Like if Katie's foot was a little smaller, the outcome is different in 2021. Then if Harden is, is healthy, that could be a totally different outcome. If, I mean, there's a lot of ifs. If, if Kyrie gets the vaccine, if it, it's so many different ifs. But let's talk about your favorite storylines for this upcoming college basketball season, which starts in like five days or so, five or six days. Can't I'm looking wait. forward to it. Yeah, I can't wait either. And I know you watch a lot of college basketball. Actually, you watch more college basketball than anyone else. So what is your, your top storyline? for this season regarding the NBA draft and prospects? I think the, the first one for me is, is, is somewhat obvious. It's, it's who's going three. We've got Wen Benyama and Scoot Pencil in at one at two. Uh, number three is a real expectation. I'll extend it a little bit further. It's who's the first collegiate player off the board and does mm-hmm. one collegiate player um, jump over Amon Thompson, who's kind of, uh, I would say he's not consensus, but he's he would be the, the most popular pick at number three right now, based off what I've kind of seen in mocks and big boards and, and reading a few articles from that teams are publishing super early on. So there's a guy that has been listening to all of our episodes goes by the name of Mike Jones. I wonder if it's the Mike Jones. (laughs) Was it two, eight, one, three, three, Oh, eight, zero, zero, four. I'm too young, but I've heard it. (laughs) Okay. He is going to say that Nick Smith is is number two and then maybe Scoot number three. And, yeah, I mean, that, that's an interesting storyline because I, I agree 100%. Who would be the first college player off the board? Some may say Cam Whitmore. Some may say Derek Whitehead. Some think it's Nick Smith. Um, some still think Derek Lively ha- has a chance. So who is your guy that that's number one as far as the top college player? I think I'm going with Cam Whitmore. I actually was having this discussion with my buddy on a, my, my pickup basketball team. We played a game tonight and we had this exact discussion. Before Did you get we, buckets? Did you get buckets? I was, I was dropping dimes. I think I had a double double with assists and rebounds. The shot wasn't falling today, but my team was winning big. So I was just pushing the pace, throwing, throwing the ball ahead, being a good team player. Draymond. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The shot, the shot used to be kind of the, the thing. I haven't played enough to, to be too super confident in it, but, Whatever helps the team win is is, is kind of my, my thinking. Gotcha. That makes sense. So you say Cam Whitmore. I'm leaning towards him as my first collegiate player. I'd go Amon Thompson three, and then number four, I think I'm going Cam Whitmore above Nick Smith. So here's my storyline. And Villanova just doesn't have a history of one and duns. And usually guys that have these one and done aspirations don't go to Villanova. I mean, I may, I shouldn't say that like that's guaranteed, but usually you just don't see the guys that everybody's penciling in as one and done going to Villanova. They usually go to the same schools or whatever. So that's one of my storylines is, and, and Villanova has a new coach, so things could be totally different, but is he going to 
put up crazy numbers? What is his role going to be? How is Villanova going to look? So that's one of my one of my storylines. I really think that the uh, Virginia says the pillars, um, but Villanova, for lack of better better term, is the pillars of their program is unselfishness, playing off two feet, being disciplined. You know, all these things where they're, they are a very cohesive unit. I think that the reason a lot of freshmen haven't been attracted to going to Villanova is because they know they have to wait their turn. There's going to be players ahead of them that have developed like over five years, like, like Archie Diacono, like Gillespie. But I don't think it necessarily is a perilous spot for a guy like Whitmore to go because he plays in a style that, that doesn't have to adapt too much. He plays off two feet, he's super aggressive. Uh, he can shoot the ball, which is always something Villanova kind of three fours play and that, that, that factors into him. And then my biggest reason I have him number three, and I do have that concern that I wonder how much, how he get egalitarian Villanova system is, could that hurt him? But I also think that there have been a couple players that have gone number four recently that have played on really good teams and have similar bills like DeAndre Hunter won a national championship at Virginia, but he was arguably the third best player on that team in terms of a collegiate standard between behind Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome. Um, uh, Patrick Williams came off the bench on a number one seed Florida team, Florida state team. Um, my thinking is that he played the best at the highest level. He played at the U19 and he was the best player. And whereas like a guy like Derek Whitehead's coming off of an injury to his feet, which I'm more concerned about than the injury to Cam Whitmore, uh, a guy like Keontae George, I think he's got tons of players that, that will make it hard for him. Nick Smith, I feel like he's got to shoulder the biggest load if he wants to get that high, but he's got the potential to do so. And I think same with Derek Lively. I think Lively's got to be phenomenal to, to stand out as Duke's best player. So I think the, the path is, is difficult for most of these college guys to stand out and really put up supremely impressive numbers. Well, here's a question for you about Whitmore and his performance this summer, I think it was the under 18. So he had such a strong performance without a doubt. I mean, he definitely helped himself there, but the bracket America plays in is not a difficult bracket, right? That's it's, fair. It's not the same as the European bracket and not saying that European basketball is better, but when you look at North America, there's, or just the Americas, there's quite a few countries where, there's not a lot of talent, definitely not a lot of NBA talent coming from the Americas. You take Argentina, okay, Canada, and that's, you know, I mean, those are, are, are the other teams. Why, you know, in Europe, you have definitely stronger talent coming from these countries and like the U, um, the European championships or so on. So the the team this this summer the event that they played in was not the same as the event that the U16s or, or no, the U17s played. So do you think that that has the weak competition kind of made them stand out a little bit more? I do, but I would say that it, you, you can't control your competition in that sense. And he, he took it to the best of his ability. There are other players that would love to be drafted this year that were on his team and he stood out the most amongst them and didn't do it in a selfish show off way. Um, so I, I buy his success. I think he shoots the ball very well and he's, he's a physically imposing guy. And I think he kind of fits the NBA mold of, of what they're looking for at, at, in terms of athletes and, and with touch and, and finesse. And I think a guy place like Villanova is a very good spot for him to hone some of the, the nuances of becoming an NBA player. I agree. 
again, we we have that in common. Those are the your storyline and my storyline are very similar. When we return, we'll find out what is Leafs number two storyline for this college basketball season regarding NBA prospects. But first, let me tell you about BetOnline because BetOnline.net is your number one source for football and the start of the new basketball season. So you can find all of the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all of your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. It is the fastest and the easiest way to check on all your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today and use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online, it is where the game starts. Shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. And I want to give a special shout out to three guys that are always in the comments on the YouTube. It is Mike Jones, Norrin Rad, and Chris Keese. These guys are always commenting and sharing their thoughts whether they agree or not it, it's great dialogue so shout out to you guys for for supporting the the, the podcast and, and on the youtube channel now for your second listen of the day i'd advise you strongly advise you to check out the locked on sports today podcast from games that matter the most the biggest stories in sports go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insight only Locked On can provide Locked On Sports Today. It is available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Leaf, your number two storyline regarding NBA prospects for this season. Yeah, this one will vary depending different board, different boards, but my, my number two storyline is who is going to become a top 10 pick that we don't necessarily foresee. There's a lot of five-star prospects. There's a lot of guys that uh, whether they're from G league overtime ignite uh, Mbanyama, obviously that are, that are shoe ins to be in the top 10, but who's going to surprise me in the top 10 and specifically which non-traditional blue blood programs are going to be featured in that top 10. Because I, because I think, especially with NIL, the transfer portal and, and just there's more parody in college basketball um, that there's going to be more people that are going to frequent the top 10 and more schools that'll frequent the top 10 um, then typically, you know, Kentucky and Duke, like for instance, Arkansas may have two top 10 picks and that's not, not necessarily a surprise. So my storyline is who's going to surprise and get there and, and what, which schools are going to start to be featured more in top tens. Yeah. So here's one that I have. All right. So if you look at last year around this time, and I'd say if you did a consensus, the top 10 picks were like Patrick Baldwin, Peyton Watson, Yannick Sosa. Jaden Hardy, um, I'm probably forgetting somebody else. And none of those guys were in the lottery, right? Jabari Smith, who for a lot of reasons, a lot of people thought that he was the, the best player in college basketball, the best NBA prospect for a large majority of the season. He wasn't someone that I saw people list as a top three pick, right? It was, I heard Chet, I heard Ben Carroll, some thought Hardy, <laughs> you know, it was so many different scenarios. So 
I said all that to say this. The guys that we're probably projecting on our big boards as top 10 picks, there's a good chance that five of them won't even be lottery picks just because that's just how weird college basketball is. Now, do you have a guy that you think could have like this breakout year that could creep up into the top 10? I've got one that I think you and I are higher on, but like, if you look at a board like tankathon, which I've got pulled up right now, he's, he's at number 19, Brandon Miller at Alabama. I'm, I'm very high on, uh, we talked about his skill set. you know, one of the big knocks is shot selection. And typically that means if you're making some shots like that, that you've got the bag to do so, um, he's number 19. So that's not a by like a big jump, but I could see him cracking the top seven. Like I could see him entering the conversation of our first storyline that we discussed of who could be, one of the two or three first college players selected. Um, and, and I'm not saying he necessarily will, but that's a guy that I think is less heralded than the guys we've heard about forever. For instance, Derek Whitehead at one point played with Cade Cunningham, like, and, and some of those Montverde guys, like that was a ridiculously stacked team, but we know what Derek Whitehead is. Derek Lively was the number one player in the class. Like that's no surprise. Keontae George went to IMG. Juris Walker was, was at IMG. You, you see these guys in the spotlight. My point being, is there's going to be a few guys, and I think he's the most likely candidate to crack that top seven, top ten, uh, even if he's not that far out of most people's boards. I just think there's going to be a couple players that that jump up, and there's going to be some, like you mentioned, that fall. Like, uh, for instance, Dylan Mitchell at Texas is going to have a bit of a log jam. I think he could easily be a top ten pick if he um, kind of overcomes and becomes the head of that hierarchy scoring, but there's a lot of guys there that, that need the basketball, and I could see him having some freshmen – uh, freshman woes or he could really thrive and, and because he's got a name brand like Texas on what should be a good team he could really thrive but he could also kind of slip the other way because of the same situation yeah speaking of Brandon Miller so I was at the Tennessee Gonzaga game on Friday and uh, I was able to sit next to some some scouts and talk to some agents and, and guys that are doing some evaluations and one guy told me Brandon Miller is a top five pick I agree. And he went to a, a practice and he was just telling me about, you know, where he's been and, and so on. So he goes to a practice and I said, how, how did Brandon Miller look? And he's just like, I said, that good. I mean, it, it's just, I mean, you can't see him on the podcast, but he kind of shook his head and his eyebrows raised. And so I was like, that good. And he says, yeah, I said like top 10 good. And he's like, not I'm like top seven. Good. He's nodding. I say top five. Good. And then he's nodding. he's just like, yeah. And so I talked to another scout about him and he was kind of torn in a sense because his theory wasn't, let me know if you agree or disagree. Um, of course, at, at this point, nobody's right or wrong at this point in the season. He said that he liked Miller. He understood the intrigue, but he felt like he is older for this class. He said he's older than some of the returning sophomores. And despite the fact that he's been older, he's concerned about the lack of progression in his shooting. He said he's been on the radar for years. He has all these tools, but he feels like he has not gotten better as, as a shooter. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's uh, the swing skill. Um, I, I want to see him do it in an SEC play specifically. I think the SEC is going to be really good this year. I'd rank them as the best conference in basketball. I know that's controversial this year. Um, but that's, that's my take is there's going to be some really good teams. And if he's able to score well in the sec, I, I buy it. Um, and, and I think there's, there's some things he can do better, but for what it's worth, I've got him number six on my board right now. And I'm hair close to putting him five. 
Um, I just need to see some college basketball and, you know, I'm itching for it. November 7th can't come fast enough for me. Um, but, but I'd say this is I, I think he's the prime candidate for me on a non-traditional blue blood, blue blood school or non top 10 uh, recruit that I think is likely to be in the top seven. I, I, I really buy his upside. I think people are going to kind of fall in love and become enamored by like the Paul George comparisons that are getting tossed out a little bit. Um, and there's, there's a couple other guys I think have a good chance as well, but he's the one I would pinpoint. Like, I, I'm curious to get your read. There's a, guy, a lot of guys in the SEC that I think have a chance to be one and dones on not necessarily amazing teams. Like, for instance, what's, what's Gigi Jackson going to do on a fairly porous South Carolina team, but he's got the, all the skills to do so. Just depends how efficient he is, I think. But Miller's shooting is less of a concern to me because he can put the ball in the hole, whether it's smooth or, or, or rough. He, he finds a way. Right. Now, one of the concerns is shot selection. So do you feel like if he has questionable shot selection and he's not a lights-out shooter, do you think that he's going to have some issues with efficiency? He could. He, he could. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to select the flashes that I've seen and, and, and really buy them as, as top level scoring in this class. We did a shot creators episode last week and he was in my top five and firmly in there. And I, I just feel like if, if you've got the ability to do and score taking tough shots, like Jason Tatum and Paolo Bancaro were two that I would recently come to mind. I take it as a knock. I say, man, like you shouldn't be shooting that. And it bugs me, but then they, they make it enough to where I'm like, okay, that's fine. And then once they define that and, 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 and kind of work on it over a summer um, and then they go to the NBA, like you can see Bancaro is thriving because he's shooting smart shots. He's not forcing the ball very much and he's easily the best rookie in the NBA right now. And I think I'm not saying that's what Miller is going to be necessarily. I just think that it's a correctable skill set that really means that he's got a tremendous skill set to work with to begin with. Valid. I, I agree. All right. When we return, we'll get a few more of Leaf's storylines. Stay tuned. All right. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow with my guest, Leaf Tulane. And we're just covering a few storylines that he's looking forward to seeing for this upcoming college basketball season, which is now days away. All right. What is next for you? What is the next storyline that you'll be paying attention to regarding an NBA prospect? I've got a, a kind of a mix of one here. Uh, so my question is, how does winning and being on an integral part of a winning college basketball team that can contend? Because I think most of these guys are on very high level teams, even even a guy like Jace Walker, who's Houston's rarely a one and done factory. But mm -hmm. he's that's a team that's top five preseason. We've got Duke, Kentucky, always litter that realm. Arkansas is supposed to be very good. How does smacked, winning, even though it was like a unofficial game, they got smacked. So yeah. Gonzaga. So I don't know if that means anything, but it's weird that you see these teams that are highly ranked and even these unofficial games, but just losing by such huge margins. Yeah. So, so my question is how does winning uh, um, winning affect these guys' performances and, and, and how does it affect their draft stock specifically if it, if it means that they're not having as large of individual roles? And secondly, which guys, uh, which guys that are injured or suspended early in the year? Cause there are a fair, a fair amount of them like Baba Miller. Uh, we talked about Whitmore. We talked about Derek Whitehead, Derek Lively, a couple injuries to crucial pieces to this draft class that I'm curious to see how that impacts their stock. Yeah. I mean, that, that's very, very good question. I know Miller's going to miss half the season. I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I'm like, he has to be able to appeal. 
like maybe you appeal, you get a few games until the next, uh, you know, situation that you appeal it again and just keep appealing until the season is over. I mean, that would be my take if it's even possible. Still seems unfair that he got 16 games in this whole NIL world. But the the guy that comes to mind when you talk about the winning and production is Julian Phillips. And I spoke with someone that mentioned that if he averages five points a game for Tennessee, which, I mean, they looked very, very good. And I was at the game against Gonzaga. But he's like, if he averages five points a game, they don't need him to win. They don't need him to be successful. Of course, it would help. But he could easily be a top 15 through 30 guy with not good numbers. He just has to show some flashes. And the the person mentioned that they think that he should do two years because they felt like if he stays for a second year, it will allow him to showcase a little bit of leadership and, and just have a bigger role because they felt like he's naturally not aggressive. And he's naturally going to just blend in. And if he's looking, if he's going to blend in with this team that has some older guys or upperclassmen, I mean, they got some guys that are like 24, <laughs> then is he going to be assertive? Is he going to be aggressive? And so that was a, a storyline that that a, a scout mentioned to me is to watch how how his role is and if he's going to be assertive and if you know, he's even productive in a sense, because like I said, Tennessee doesn't need him to be successful. Yeah. And then that I circled a few guys that, and he was on there that I thought would really have very interesting draft stocks, depending on how good their teams are. Julian Phillips, Dylan Mitchell, uh, Jarese Walker. And I'd even say the opposite end of the spectrum for, for Gigi Jackson. Cause if South Carolina is really bad and he's forced to do a ton, I worry that his his efficiency will will make will make uh, people lean away. And the other three are, are the same thing with Julian Phillips is, is because those teams are supposed to be really good. Do you want the ball in the freshman's hand or do you want it in Mark Mark Sasser's hands at the end of the game if you're Houston and and uh, do you want Marcus Carr and Tyrese Hunter touching the ball or do you want it in Dylan Mitchell's hands uh, for Texas? So yeah, that that's something I'm very intrigued about, and time will tell. Um, and, and the trust in coaches, and this will impact recruiting for years to come because should Julian Phillips return to Tennessee, they're going to lose Santiago Vescovi. They're going to lose probably Kamwa. They're big. Um, they're going to lose Josiah Jordan-James, who's kind of occupying the position that Phillips would like to play. He didn't even and, play on, yeah. um, on Friday. Yeah, and then they're deep. They're deep. I, I did an SEC podcast, and I had them three, and I'm kind of regretting it. Um, but that, that's for another thing. Tyrell uh, yeah. Key, he's going to be good for them. I wasn't familiar with him. I'll be honest, I wasn't familiar with him until I at the game, and he was a bucket at at Indiana State before he transferred. Then he had to sit out a year, and he's going to be big. And I talked to one of their coaches, and he's like, "This team is much better than last year, and last year's team was pretty good." Michigan State uh, head coach Tom Izzo said something today. He said their Final Four good easily, um, and yeah. so. Uh, and then that. that that was a that's their own scrimmage so two for two for Tennessee um and, and then as for the other one is is was with these injuries like maybe you know more about the timetables than I do they're kind of keeping it hush hush for for guys like Derek Whitehead who hurt his hurt his foot that, that's a scary injury for a guard that's that's supposed to be he's not necessarily like an elite athlete but he's a he's a guy who's a kind of a downhill driver he, he's got good 
wiggle to his game and and like cam whitmore does his shooting struggle with a thumb injury and and there's there's a few other guys like that that i'm concerned about in that regard yeah and i don't have any insight or any knowledge about the injuries other than what's already uh been public but yeah i mean that's that's definitely going to play a role and like you said the guys that are that are sitting out i mean He's not necessarily a guy that's going to be super high on draft boards, but you look at like Arizona and, and Ramey, he's, he's going to miss some games. Adama um, Ball is going to, going to be a, a guy to watch for, for who's he's going to be stepping in for Ramey for a few games. Yep. Yep. So is there any other storyline that you feel deserves a little bit of attention? Uh, one, one that I think this is, this is not at the top of the draft board, but, NIL's influencing people to come back more easily, like Drew Timmy, Oscar Shibway, Armando Baycott are examples of this. Trace Jackson Davis as well. Uh, Hunter Dickinson. A lot of big guys that aren't necessarily fits for right now's NBA. <laughs> yeah, that's what I love to say. How they all much, have something uh, in common. How much does NIL impact that? And then where are they going to go in a draft where they're clearly going to implement what they've been told by scouts to work on um, how much can they improve their stock? And then who this year that you expect to do well is going to take that feedback and, and come back and, and make what I'd, I'd say for most of those guys, a wise decision to play another year of college basketball, if you can get paid to do so. Yeah. It's funny because I thought the NIL was going to have a huge impact on the draft. I thought guys that were fringe guys, or you weren't getting first round feedback. I thought, okay, these guys, especially if you had a blue blood school, yep. you're going to take the NIL money. To my surprise, the only guy that really shocked me was Terquivion Smith. Maybe Caleb Love. I think if he would have had a big game, <laughs> uh, his last his last game, yep. then then maybe he he would have um, went. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of like it's. It seems like the guys that are taking advantage of it and uh, the money, in a sense, are the bigs, and these are bigs that a lot of people say oh, they don't necessarily fit the modern NBA. They're better than a lot like skill wise, more skilled than a lot of the run and jump guys that are, you know, that, that are going to be first round picks. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that's a, that's a very good observation. I'm just curious to see what, what happens if, if there are, if guys are going to look at, you know, you look at JD Davison, you look at Peyton Watson, you look at Patrick Baldwin, um, I'm, I'm probably missing a few, but these guys that left early after their freshman years and are not playing at all, right? I think JD's going to spend a lot of time in the G League. You see, Jaden Hardy is has already been assigned to the G League. So I wonder, are guys going to say, is it worth it to be like a second round pick? Because even some guys that are drafting a second round, their teams are only offering them two ways. Do you want to be a two way guy and play in the G League? Or do you say, I'm going to stay in school, I'm going to get better, and I can probably make six figures? I mean, some of the salaries I've heard from NIL, I don't, I don't know how true they are, and it's kind of tough to determine what is a rumor or not. But I've heard some of these guys are getting six-figure, high six-figure, not necessarily like high, like eight or 900000 but I hear some guys are getting two, $300,000 deals. $10,000 a month deals for, for the NIL and you're going to play 30 minutes a game. Yeah, so I, I wonder, 
I wonder how many people said, wow, Keegan Murray, wow, Johnny Davis, or even a guy like Ochag Baji if you're a little older. Um, and, and you say, you know what, I'm going to bet on myself, work on what they tell me to work on, and come back and, and, and say, you know what, I can go 20 spots higher in the draft. Rather than 40, I can go 20. Rather than 30, I can go 10. And, and I think that's going to become more prevalent with NIL, and it's just a matter of time. Though I will echo your sentiment that I think a lot of people made what I would decide uh, determine as uh, ill-advised decisions going going early. I thought J.D. Davidson should have come back, for instance. I, I thought Baldwin, I was okay with that one just because I knew his shooting would eventually um, be, be something that people were allured to. But but the point remains, I, I think it's going to become a more prevalent thing. And I, I really, when I when it came out, I was like, wow, transfer portal and and nil is really going to impact the draft it's just a matter of time yeah transfer portal definitely because i could even see like i use julian phillips for an example he could end up being behind um even though they don't necessarily play the same position but tyreek key who is like 24 (laughs) he's probably what is he six years older than julian phillips at least five at the minimum and i talked about it on a previous podcast from this weekend is that i spoke to a parent and he's like, college basketball is not for 18-year-olds anymore. Unless you're top 10 or top 20 recruit, college basketball is full of guys that are 22 through 25. And he even said that one kid that he used to coach is behind a 26-year-old. And he's like, he's just not going to play. So I bet um, he's at Memphis. No, it's, it's, I know you're talking about, you're talking about his name, like DeAndre, DeAndre, Williams. De, DeAndre Williams. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing your, 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 your storylines. I mean, you always have, have great takes and thank you, the listener for making the Locked on NBA big board podcast. One of actually, you know what, for making it your first listen of the day. Now for your next listen, please check out the Locked on sports today podcast. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Raphael. This is Leaf. And we are out.